Welcome to CII Podcasts. First and foremost, thank you for joining us here and you know, agreeing to to spare your time to share your vision and your thoughts, you know, for India. And one topic we really want to talk with you about is really how do we become a research and development nation, right? I mean, if you look at the statistics, you know, as a country, whether it's a private sector or even as a, a country when it comes to, you know, global benchmarks, you know, we really lack in in what we invest in R&D. Whether R&D investment, the way we've traditionally looked at it, is still the best way to move forward, given that there is so much disruption and technology is like really a very differentiated state altogether, you know, where incremental innovation, you know, may not be the answer to, to a lot of the uh, ways to solve the future problems of India and the world. So very uh, exciting subject, a lot of uh, things we are going to cover, uh, you know, and, and really look forward uh, to this conversation. In terms of context, you know, CII launched this very powerful initiative, uh, India 75, back when uh, India was 60. Uh, it was launched with a with a purpose to bring multiple stakeholders to come together to envision and dream of an India. Uh, and you know, we must say that uh, when Prime Minister Modi, uh, who was also consulted back in 2008, came to power in 2014, you know, set the goals for the new India of 2022. And today we are here. We are celebrating Amrit Mahotsav. But this is just a stepping stone in the journey of a country which is, of course, beyond 75 thousands of years of history. And really, how do we use this Amrit Kaal the next 25 years, you know, to truly unlock our uh, position in the world and to really get ourselves back into a position of global leadership, something that we have, you know, enjoyed in the past. But, you know, as we look at that, I think there is only one thing that, you know, we have to, we are all very clear about is that, you know, India is, is a country with a large population, with people you know, who have very, very different levels of income inequalities. So inclusive development, I think, is a uh, is a no-brainer. I mean, we cannot achieve anything as a country if we cannot, you know, take people along. So I know you have done a lot of work uh, in that space. So we'd love to start this session by, by asking you really, how do you define, you know, inclusive development? What is inclusive India? How do we really look at a sustainable global future, you know, coming out of India, you know, particularly over the next few years. And we'll keep this a free-flowing conversation. Uh, feel free to, to share your dreams as and when you get a chance. And uh, uh, maybe we can kick start with that coach. Yeah, first of all, thank you Rajan for inviting me to this uh, interaction. Uh, it's a, I'm delighted to be here. Uh, I was also sort of peripherally involved with some of the thoughts on India at 75 with the CII Karnataka Council at that time, so I'm delighted to be back in touch with all of you. Uh, I think you sort of set the tone well for this discussion. Uh, I think if you look at India, we are really a human resource rich country. And therefore, if you ask me what is my dream, my dream is that every Indian should be able to reach his or her potential and the country should be able to not exactly create but at least orchestrate enough opportunities for everyone to achieve their potential without economic or social barriers i mean if you ask me that's really my dream because uh, our biggest strength is human capital and yet there are several things standing in the way of people realizing their full potential so if we can change that situation I think uh, 
that would be just wonderful so that's really my dream about india and uh, to me that's what inclusivity is or inclusion is all about uh, everyone should be able to pursue the vocation they are interested in the vocation they like they should be able to use all their skills talents creativity whatever they have and uh, the environment should reward them for that no i think i think you know your your dream will resonate with with so many people you know who really believe that that is the way you know india can move forward and and it is really this platform that we are trying to build where we are trying to strengthen and you know improvise on on each person's dream and actually take the collective majority you know thought process so as you would recollect you know when we were in, at india at 60 the need for a, you know a better livelihood pretty much connected you know everyone in india at that time right and i think today we are in a position where you know we have a much higher level of self confidence as a country you know we know we can make it happen right and i think all the things that you just shared is 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 a dream that will convert to reality of course we need to keep our non negotiables intact you know since you mentioned i remember professor ck pralad who was also part of those interactions you know in those days and and yourself you know uh, we talked of price performance being a way uh, where india will always drive better performance lower price you know uh, uh, social equity scale as the non negotiables right of that change but you know uh, one one thing that i wanted to really also you know kind of understand from you is that when we have to drive these changes right especially when it comes to uh, you know new business models new products more innovation right the r and d you know capabilities are are so critical right so you know how would you evaluate right the research landscape in india today you know given where we are if you were to take your your view given that you work with so many corporates and and so many students in you know in different capacities sure so if you look at uh, india's trajectory as far as r and d is concerned you just start with the big numbers first what is clearly a concern is that our in expenditure or investment in r&d has really stagnated for quite some time now so typically most uh, estimates suggest that it's around 0.7% of gdp which is much lower than you know the developed world but even lower than other countries with whom we might like to compete so if you take a country like china for example over time r&d as a percentage of gdp has gone up in the to the 1.5 to 2% range whereas we are pretty much stuck at that 0.7% rate so that's at the high level that's certainly a concern now let me just come down one level to what's happening a bit on the ground now historically most of our r&d happened in government owned and government operated research institutions we had all these large research networks like isro drdo csir icar etc but a shift started happening somewhere in the early 90s when a lot of multinational companies started setting up their r&d centers in india and bangalore the city in which i live is a big hub for those r&d centers so this created a second sort of locus of r&d where a lot of people particularly very skilled people started joining these companies and became part of the global r&d networks of these multinationals Now, one of the challenges of these multinational companies is, of course, that their R&D activities are largely aligned with the strategies of their parents wherever they are located, 
and are largely focused on creating products and services for the global market not necessarily for india and emerging markets so a result of this has been that the people working in those companies tend to be somewhat removed or separated from what's happening in the local ecosystem because they're focused largely on what's happening in the uh, sphere of their current companies so that's one part of the story the second part of the story of course is indian companies themselves doing r&d and i think we saw a pretty good phase during the 2000 to 2010 kind of time frame we saw some really big ticket projects going on we saw the nano for example from tata motors we saw mahindra going into a whole lot of new vehicle development programs we saw indian pharmaceutical companies trying to create new drugs of course not always successfully so essentially we saw big innovations at the national level as well like aadhar which came in around the end of that decade so that was a quite a good decade as far as corporate innovation is concerned and i was hoping at that time that that would be a platform from which indian corporate r&d would take off during the subsequent period however i've been a little disappointed i mean in the last 10 years i would say have not really been you know the r&d scene has not been as exciting as i hoped it would be uh, so what what we've seen instead and i think this is where the hope for the future lies is that we've seen startups becoming very prominent in the broader r&d ecosystem particularly in some sectors if you take uh, sectors like biotechnology you take healthcare uh, you take of course the larger uh, digital space we've seen startups becoming quite prominent in the broader r&d and innovation space so even there one might have some cribs that maybe in the really r&d intensive parts like deep tech perhaps we are not doing as well as we should so just to kind of sum up you know there's the government r&d system which still remains in a way the dominant one because the government is the largest spender on r&d so out of that 0.7% of gdp about 60% at least is spent by the government and a lot of that goes into the government uh, sector itself then of course there's corporate r&d which i believed it quite well in the 2000 to 2010 time frame but doesn't hasn't done as well in the last decade or so then of course we've seen the startups coming in with some exciting stuff and i hope that trend continues but we've unfortunately seen a lot of our good talent go to multinationals which i mean is good for the global economy but is perhaps not uh, that great for the uh, indian uh, r&d uh, scenario as a whole uh, just to round that off i think the other development i see which is somewhat promising is that a lot of the academic institutions are becoming more research oriented particularly as they get more serious about being ranked internationally uh, they are certainly devoting more attention to the research both in terms of quality and quantity that they do and that should hopefully have good results and outcomes uh, in the years ahead well, you know thanks for sharing that landscape and really you know putting it in very very good context and you know this 0.7% is compared to say a 1.5 to 3% of what you know the top 10 largest economies in the world spend so it's a you know 5x growth you know in terms of that and again given that you know 60% of that 0.7% is government i think the private sector and you know of course if we take out the multinational the indian private sector investment in this has to increase 
you know significantly but you know a lot of i think even the economic survey you know talked about uh, you know jugaad innovation being you know the way in which you know a lot of indian innovation happens which in a way has worked to some extent but you know obviously when we talk of you know the deep foundation building blocks of institutions right which will drive a large part of this r&d uh, is 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 not is not happening so really what what can be some of the you know three of the things that you might think that can build a strong structure a strong culture you know for r&d in the country you talked of you know institutions such as yourself right? it would be good to also understand what i am be for example is doing you know on research you know and to 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 see how we can really strengthen this this one very demanding and very much needed i know we we keep talking about it and we've heard it you know we moved well on the global innovation index i think we are somewhere at, you know from 81 we moved to 48 or 45 but still you know for india size india scale we got to be much better yeah sure Uh, i think there are multiple things uh, we need to do first we need to uh, start young this is a point that's been made uh, many times before uh, fortunately for us the new education policy recognizes the importance of this essentially we have to kindle interest in our uh, younger folks particularly those who are in school and college to get excited about uh, taking on uh, tough and challenging problems and uh, solving them Uh, some good first steps have been taken for example the atal innovation mission the setting up of atal tinkering labs in schools uh, those are all good first steps to kindle that interest in kids but i think there's much more we need to do in terms of making uh, i mean it's not so much about research it's just about inquiry curiosity uh, you know trying to come up with better solutions you've really got to make that a much more exciting activity for kids so that they get into that at a very uh, early age one of the things which would help i i believe is to expose youngsters to a lot of the problems and challenges that are around us uh, they should really take on those challenges as uh, you know very aspirational projects and try to address them and that would happen if people are pulled out of their regular habitat and exposed to some of the environments in which much bigger challenges exist for example urban kids used to need to go and spend more time maybe in rural india or they need to spend time outside their normal uh, place where they stay so that they'll understand and uh, basically get more sensitive to the kind of challenges people face uh, in the things that they are doing so curiosity exposure to challenges these are a couple of things which would really help in my view kindle greater interest uh, among uh, the youth of this country some big uh, ticket uh, big visibility events and uh, missions would also help we all know that uh, some of the missions like chandrayaan and mangalyaan by isro uh, apart from whatever benefits they gave the country in the space program also acted acted as great magnets for youngsters uh, it certainly kindled they kindled a lot of interest in astronomy in space exploration in all the technologies that uh, go with uh, that kind of uh, endeavor so certainly those missions are also very important to kindle interest and excitement among uh, the uh, younger generation uh, in our country uh, finally i think what's very important at a societal level and this is something which we do struggle with from time to time is we really need to support the scientific method 
we need to support uh, data driven analysis driven decision making policy making uh, we've got to get society as a whole to try and look at problems in a more rational and objective way and use data and experiments to try and solve the problems that are before us uh, this would probably require a lot of social change as well uh, if we are to embrace that of course it's there in our fundamental duties in the constitution but creating that kind of a scientific temperament across the country is something that we need to address uh, very seriously i think some great points you know and when you talked of the isro chandrayaan and all that you know i myself worked for nasa and i can tell you that you know at that point working on something which is being done for the first time in the world is such a uh, exciting inspiring you know uh, way for people to really take on more risk take on more challenges you know which is i think at the foundation building block of any innovation right i mean there is the you know the the risk that gets attached to the outcome you know when you are innovating and i think young people being able to do that you know the good news is that uh, when i was at one of the convocations uh, recently uh, one of the education institutions uh, you know rishi i asked them how many of you would want to be job seekers and how many of you want to be job creators and it was interesting that more than half of the hall actually put up their hands for being job creators so i think the entrepreneurship spirit or energy that india is seeing today i don't think we have seen it in the past and and i think that will be more risk taking more innovation you know but but i still feel and you rightly pointed out you know when it comes to deep tech when it comes to cutting edge research right at being at world class levels right we do that when we go into other environments i mean we are doing that in, in the you are doing it in other right what is preventing us from from being a nation that can stand for you know cutting edge research here in india there are many reasons one is that we perhaps miss some of the big r&d intensive tech waves one of the big ones we missed was of course the semiconductor revolution we are trying to get into that now but it's of course a few decades late if you look at the top spending companies on r&d globally you will find that most of them are in some way or the other related to semiconductors and electronics and domains like that so since we don't have a significant presence in those industries that robs us of a whole sector which would otherwise almost by force have to participate in intensive r&d so our biggest spenders on r&d in india in contrast are typically pharmaceuticals automobiles and to some extent it but globally it's semicon and electronics and those sectors which are really the biggest uh, spenders on r&d the second issue is we need uh, to have uh, both vision and foresight and patience uh, you just look back at the space program today if after all it goes back all the way to the 1960s you look at our atomic energy program it's again something that's been around for 50 60 years results did not come in any of these sectors overnight we had to invest in capability building in technology we had to do lots of experiments and after you know going through several learning cycles we finally created the capabilities to be very strong in these areas so this is uh, going to be another important uh, prerequisite to do a good r&d uh, in the future we need people who have that vision like you know people like homi baba or vikram sarabhai or you know have all those big names 
uh, and you also need uh, patience in in terms of just your uh, your scientific work itself uh, you uh, you must have read about the mrna vaccines which were developed for covid now while it appears that the vaccines themselves were developed in very short time frames the fact is that the core work on mrna based vaccines has been going on for 20 to 25 years and it's just lucky that that whole program had reached the stage of maturity where they were quickly able to come up with vaccines for covid-19 but you want to never forget the 20 to 25 years of very intense work that's gone on in multiple laboratories around the world to make the mrna vaccine technology possible so there, in some of these areas uh, rajan there's really no shortcut you have to invest you have to be there for the long term you have to develop human capability and you have to keep at it and you need uh, leadership both political and organizational which can provide the long term patient support for these activities to finally uh, flower and bloom and in today's context it also needs patient capital we need uh, investors we need philanthropists we need foundations uh, apart from the government who are willing to make the long term investments to do the kind of deep tech work which will enable us to be a leader some years uh, down the line so in my mind these are just some of the things we need to do to uh, drive this uh, what's also required is in my view uh, and this is maybe a little controversial and i hope cii members don't mind but you know people have to get their hands dirty i mean in the sense that when i look back at the companies that have really invested significantly in r&d in the long run in india it's because the promoters or the people who are calling the shots there really put their you know shoulder to the ground and decided to get involved in this i mean you you look at anand mahindra for example I, i'm sure he, i mean i i know he was not doing the r&d himself but you can see the kind of support he gave to pavan goenka and everyone else in mahindra to drive all the r&d and product development which has been going on in that company similarly you look at mr ratan tata and the kind of support and guidance he gave to the nano the fact that the nano was not a commercial success doesn't worry me at all in fact that's a completely different uh, issue but the, you can just see the kind of commitment which the tata group was able to make when it got the kind of support that ratan tata gave to the company similarly when you look at pharma almost all the pharma companies which have been intensively involved in r&d whether you take kiran majumdar in biocon today or whether you take parvinder singh who built ranbaxy 20 years ago you will find that these were leaders who were quite involved in the entire r&d process they were not working in the lab but they understood what was going on they were full partners with the r&d team in pursuing the different r&d programs and they stood by everybody through both uh, thick and thin so you, i think we need a new generation of leadership in our organizations who is willing to provide that kind of support i think patient capital new generation of leadership so many aspects right you talk of vaccines right what india has achieved in terms of you know uh, uh, vaccines in this entire period is is, is remarkable right i think so we we you know we see pockets of excellence we see yeah so rajan you know, sorry to interrupt you but yeah but you know you you just look at the indian vaccine story so yeah. once again when you look at some a company like bharat biotech 
and you look at their ability to create a covid-19 vaccine in a year or 18 months or whatever they did it came not by accident it came about because they've over the last 15 20 years worked ceaselessly on a whole range of vaccines for example there's the rotavirus vaccine which bharat biotech made in collaboration with the all india institute of medical sciences dr ban and others and this was an earlier vaccine which allowed them to develop the capabilities to make uh, covaxin a success today or even if you look at uh, our friend mr punawala after all the serum institute has been making large volumes of vaccines for years i mean they were already the largest vaccine maker in the world even before covid came along so there's there's really i'm sorry to keep repeating there's no shortcut to building capabilities over time and doing going step by step through that capability building process no no absolutely you know it's said others and una we just had lunch together today <laughs> but is the same thing right the, the the point is that india needs both of that right we need that hardy and then we need that manufacturing capability at scale because we have that at affordable price points you know and to me all of that working together is what will drive it you know especially from our own self sufficiency but also you know as a global leader and i think we are beginning to gain that respect we are able to move but i think the the need on the path to india and 100 is to accelerate that i think our discussion today is we probably will get there in any case but what can we do today to to enhance the process to make it more efficient so that we can get there quicker right and i think i think the whole journey towards india and 100 is really going to you know come with 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 a lot of that right and 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 education right you talked of the new education policy you know building people in india the human capacity right is is so critical when it comes to, to the new world you talked of missing you know some cycle semiconductor but ai blockchain sure. you know what is the future workforce going to be like right we are already dealing with remote working and you know so many challenges of the gig economy right how do you see all of that and what can india really do to prepare right how do we go and you know put position ourselves there to be able to you know take maximum advantage of this opportunity but well, i think one obvious thing to do is to select a few areas where we really want to excel uh, is probably unlikely that we can be outstanding in everything though as a large country we should certainly take on a wide enough portfolio but we do need to ch- choose a few areas which are likely to be disproportionately significant in the future uh, we should also try to align our education system and whatever is happening uh, in the whole education process to some of these uh, priority areas as well as integrate our funding with uh, all of this uh, we need to get everybody on board so we need to find good collaboration mechanisms between academia between research institutions and of course uh, with the corporate sector we've seen some signs of how that can be done during covid-19 for example the government played a key role in being a catalyst in providing consortia uh, sorry in building consortia which brought together different players in the whole biomedical space so that we could create vaccines so that we could create uh, test kits and a uh, whole lot of other things which were required for covid-19 so perhaps we need some of those coordination mechanisms which will help uh, synergize or bring together the different capabilities which exist in silos across the country we should also look at more uh, platforms which can help in coordination particularly say open innovation platforms where companies 
could uh, state their problems and then maybe we could get more people like startups and others to try and solve those problems we should uh, build further on what we have done in some areas like the fintech where we already have things like the india stack and other open api platforms which allow a whole range of startups to uh, work on very interesting problems in the fintech space so we need to basically mix and match the different capabilities we have in the government in the large corporate sector in startups and collaboration and joint working is really the key i i, I believe that traditionally we have not been very strong at that kind of collaborative working but digital technology certainly allows us or facilitates that kind of collaborative work together and we must find ways of using these digital technologies more effectively to bring all the different players together because we have capabilities but they are all distributed in silos and in order to create really good products and technologies these different silos need to be brought together and that's an important role which uh, the government uh, to some degree academia and of course technology can uh, really play yeah and you know with digital india you know the sandbox approach which rbi is doing for innovation using the india stack health stack i think we have to be able to use that digital transformation what we have already done a lot more you know is that how does industry and academia really work together we always talk about that right i mean you know uh, and what can we do you know particularly to boost innovation in our right you know while while there are so many good examples which are pockets of excellence i don't think we have still cracked that that magic formula you know to be able to scale that so any any thoughts rishi around that we've seen a few good examples which are worth considering uh, for scaling one good innovation that has brought academia and industry together is the iit madras research park uh, it's a pretty strong arena for both academia and industry to come together and work on a whole range of uh, relevant problems another thing we need to do is encourage greater mobility between academia and industry one of the challenges that academia and industry don't really understand each other's strengths too well they in often talk a different language so we need people who can be the interpreters or the interlocutors or basically connect the two and bring them together during covid we saw that under uh, conditions of uh, dire need and emergency those kind of collaborations did happen we saw a whole range of people for example making ventilators and things even from academia but how do we make those mechanisms work in a non crisis situation to me that's a one of the questions i keep thinking about how do we get all this kind of synergy to happen when there is no covid-19 <laughs> around to sort of really put everybody under pressure i think coming together in a crisis definitely you know brings the best out but you know uh, i think that disaster management you know is 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 just one piece and, and really i think for that accelerated change right sometimes we talk of that boardroom approach you know we got to take one or two issues and just work deeply on it right we take six watch bada we take any aspect the other, the other thing is to be more flexible i mean yeah. for example several years ago when china was trying to reform its r&d system one of the experiments they tried was uh, to allow scientists in their public r&d institutions to basically give them much more flexibility in what they do and how they do 
uh, they allowed scientists in public r&d institutions to start their own companies they could have one foot in their company and one foot in the lab they could use the lab resources for whatever they were doing in the company with very few restrictions essentially what the chinese government realized is that getting all those ideas out of the lab was much more important than worrying about audit and bureaucratic hurdles and so on so they just let the whole system sort of in a way take off so maybe we need a few drastic things like that so that we can just unleash all that potential which is otherwise locked up in different organizational structures no i think i think you know uh, there are so many good global examples right also taking a theme right like when quality movement in japan is such a great example where you allow all that flexibility but you drive it towards one theme that you want to stand for which you know is critical for a foundation building block you know for the future so absolutely there you know a question another question that has come up for you is on a different note how can india become home to the howards and mits of the world how can indian institutes be enabled uh, to attract foreign students and really get you know become a part of the top 100 institutes in the world so what can we do to to position our higher education into that category so indian higher education uh, given its constraints uh, i would argue is not doing too badly of course we wanted to do much better so you probably read in the press today that the qs world university rankings were announced yesterday and we have about three or four institutions in the top 200 indian institute of science a couple of iits etc uh, i i am increasingly of the view that you know we should again unshackle many of these institutions i think first of all they need more resources if you look at the kind of investments we make they are very small by global standards uh, i know the government has its own financial constraints then we need to find alternate funding models to uh, to bring in alternate funding models you'll also have to remove maybe several of the other hurdles which these institutions have to deal with on a regular basis so i think one should we should be willing to experiment i think we sometimes are a bit hesitant to experiment maybe we don't want to experiment with the whole system at one go but let's take two or three institutions the institution of eminence scheme which the government came up with was supposed to do that but i think it's it's sort of it stopped a little short of that it appears i mean it's brought in the funding but it's not given the kind of overall flexibility which those institutions need to really take off so i i once again even there i would believe that indian institutions have it in them to be among the top we've seen it in corporate india right i mean before 1990 we hardly had any indian companies which were in the top of anything but now you know you take almost any industry you will find there are at least a few indian companies who are leaders in their domains globally so the same thing can happen in higher education but i think you really need to create a conducive environment for them to do that you know i think corporate uh funding in in you know uh, in cutting edge research is happening well in developed countries and institutions in all of that right i mean even in a country like india right, somewhere i think we got to identify how we can make that happen and it i don't know whether it is going to come from you know because obviously performance of companies like what you said when you're looking at it from a a long term will be enhanced but given the culture a change right it's it's something that is required so you know is there any concrete thing that you you know because being from the academic side i think you can see or you have a view which is a very different one from people who are already in the in the corporate side right so 
anything you see specific that needs to be highlighted to corporations especially you know if we say that india is going to be you know the global hub for r&d and innovation in the next 25 years you know something that's missing some something that you can identify yeah so you know uh, i did some analysis some years ago of what was holding us back on innovation and uh, we looked at it from the point of view of uh, three dimensions we looked at it on the input side which was in terms of skills talent funding etc we looked at it on the outcome side we looked at the, does the market support innovation do companies that innovate get better valuation is there protection for intellectual property etc and the third thing we looked at is capabilities within organizations which includes leadership uh, decision making how the companies work the culture hierarchy and things like that and i'm i'm sorry to say that when we looked at that the outcome side seemed to be actually getting better in the sense that our with a lot of the deregulation happening the economic and other environments for business in india were becoming much better but if you look at the second uh, box which is basically the environment within companies the kind of leadership you they provide the kind of support they provide for ideation within the company their willingness to put investment behind good ideas that come from employees their willingness to take risks and try out new things that seemed to be an area which continued to be a challenge so my take on that is just repeating something i said a little earlier in the conversation we need a new generation of entrepreneurs who are not sort of worried who are not held back who are willing to take those risks who are willing to work with the team even if they don't have the deep tech capabilities they have to work with people who have those skills and really try to make things uh, you know make india and make their companies leaders in their respective domains from an r&d and tech perspective as well yeah i think i think even filing of patents right we have much less you know in india compared to many other parts of the world but i think what you rightly said ultimately it's the startups you know who are going to be able to become drivers of a large part of this uh, which could come differently and i think one of the questions was also that you know that however manufacturing innovation patent etc is 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 you know is is nascent in india but how do we really uh, you know get startups to enable that further and what can we see happening on that areas you know you talked of startups being housed within institutions right and and really you know that becoming a big base for uh, you know academic led you know research application i think we, we we need more sub we need more support from the large companies to startups as well i mean unfortunately sometimes i find startups you know who work closely with large companies they're not getting the kind of uh, support that they require in fact the large companies are off sometimes i mean this is not a general criticism but sometimes uh, trying to exploit the startups rather than just helping them realize the potential of their ideas so we have to overcome some of those uh, tendencies and temptations and really work towards building a much stronger collaborative ecosystem as far as r&d innovation is concerned i think that's a great point and you know at cii we started a national corporate startup connect you know and you see a lot of you know like what you saw tata acquiring some startup many other companies you know kind of working together actually a lot of the startups driving the future strategy of some of the larger corporates sure, sure. because you know innovation within sometimes is hard you know to 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 come about and and i think you know if we are able to really build platforms like that you know across the country 
definitely you know we'll see a lot more of that happening you know as we move towards india at 100 and i think that's really the you know the the, the theme right we we are kind of running out of time but but i want to come back you know rishi to to that that big bold you know uh, idea the vision the dream you know uh, you know what let's uh, what do you wake up to when you think of your next generation you know in india you know how do you see uh, the future of india what's you know if i were to tell you i dream for india in a particular way i know we started the conversation with that and and you talked about it but you know as we been through this conversation yeah. you know what where is your dream you know that and, and how do you see that really becoming a reality yeah so i i think my dream is uh, still the same it hasn't uh, changed over the last 40 minutes uh, i think it's really to create a conducive environment where every individual in india can realize uh, his or her talent his or her potential uh, and of course uh, contribute to the growth of the uh, country and of course the uh, prosperity of the individual and his or her family itself uh, i think this this will largely happen when we uh, unleash the potential which is available uh, already in the country which means that we've got to look at different elements which we have been which i think we've already been identified but we need to take it to the logical conclusion uh, education is clearly one of them uh, the second one is the reform of the entire government r&d system the third is just giving much more flexibility and much more resources to the uh, uh, academic institutions which have already performed extremely well like the iits and indian institute of science and so on uh, to support and really strengthen the links between academia and startups and industry through research parks and whatever other mechanisms that work uh, to help the academic institutions also uh, develop uh, on and translate their own research into technologies and products that can make a difference to the country and to society as a whole so there i think a whole lot of things i think a lot of it is uh, you know there's this uh, manish sabarwal has this nice term which i like to just adapt a bit so he, he when he talks about jobs and labor and all that he says that the main problem is what he calls regulatory cholesterol so i think there is a you know similar kind of a cholesterol which is also holding back innovation and r&d and so on so our job is to now you know find a way of removing or sort of busting all that cholesterol we need to find the right statins or whatever it is which will just take apart that cholesterol and just unleash the potential of everyone in india yeah and if we don't find the statin then we got to put the stent and, and do the bypass and do something really disruptive to to make sure that the cholesterol gets out of the way but now i think very nicely put and i think it was worth reemphasizing this point that you know the dream of enabling every indian to reach his or her you know optimal potential is is such a powerful thought and how can we all as society multiple stakeholders work together to make that the goal right for for especially the young people who are going to inherit and shape the future of not only india but as we have discussed today of the entire world so again wish you such a joy and pleasure chatting with you as i always say you know one can gone but uh, you know it's 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 uh, it's it's been a very enriching conversation and uh, thank you again for for making this happen thank you rajan it was a pleasure talking to you thank you for listening to cii podcasts